And we're going to go ahead and read both of these psalms. It's a total of nine, or excuse me, a total of twenty-one verses, and it's going to be. Uh, um, we'll read this together. Uh, I'll read it. You follow along with me as I read from the New King James Version of God's Word, and then um, we will get into the teaching. Psalm one sixteen. I love the Lord because he has heard my voice and my supplications, because he has inclined his ear to me. Therefore, I will call upon him as long as I live. The pains of death surrounded me and the pangs of Sheol laid hold of me. I found trouble and sorrow. Then I called upon the name of the Lord. O Lord, I implore you, deliver my soul. Gracious is the Lord and righteous. Yes, our God is merciful. The Lord preserves the simple. I was brought low, and he saved me. Return to your rest, O my soul, for the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. For you have delivered my soul from death, my eyes from tears, and my feet from falling. I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. I believed. Therefore I spoke, I am greatly afflicted. I said in my haste, all men are liars. What shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits toward me? I will take up the cup of salvation and call upon the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord now in the presence of all his people. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. O Lord. Truly, I am your servant. I am your servant, the son of your maidservant. You have loosed my bonds. I will offer to you the sacrifice of thanksgiving and will call upon the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord now in the presence of all his people, in the courts of the Lord's house, in the midst of you, O Jerusalem. Praise the Lord. And then moving to Psalm 117. Praise the Lord, all you Gentiles. Loud him, all you peoples. For his merciful kindness is great toward us, and the truth of the Lord endures forever. Praise the Lord. And Father, as we look at these two psalms together, we do ask for the presence of your Holy Spirit with us. Pour him out upon us, Lord, to give us understanding of these words. These words inspired by him upon the hearts of the writers of these psalms, Lord. He also gives us understanding as we seek him for it. He also gives us wisdom to apply these things to our lives and the strength to do it. And so, God, we just thank you for him. Might he actively work in our hearts and our lives tonight. And, Lord Jesus, might you be honored. Might you be glorified through it all. And we ask it in your precious name. Amen. You guys may be seated. Okay, as we look at these two psalms together, you saw how, how the second is connected to the first, definitely. Um, but we want to begin here with this with Psalm 116, um, acknowledging, of course, that there is uh, no inscription, nothing written by the writer to give us any uh, understanding of the occasion uh, for which he wrote it, or we don't even have the name of the person 
who wrote it here. So, so we really don't know. And, and there are suggestions thrown out by various uh, 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 writers, by various uh, commentators um, and, and, and such. But I, I do like what H.G. Spence Jones wrote. He wrote this, many adhere to the old Hebrew tradition. I think that's one reason to believe that the, the old Hebrew tradition is such, which ascribed it to Hezekiah and considered it to have been written on the occasion of his deliverance from death as narrated in Isaiah 38. Many resemblances are traced between the phraseology of the psalm and expressions attributed to Hezekiah in Isaiah 37 and 38. Um, in those verses there in Isaiah 37, 14 through 38, 22, I would, I would encourage you guys to take that. That's a pretty long passage. We don't have time to go through that. We're going to go look at a portion of it, though. Uh, we, we, we see these things, though, in that passage. Um, Sennacherib, who's the king of Assyria, um, basically threatens um, uh, Judea that he's going to, to come and take them. He's going to come into Jerusalem and destroy it. Uh, king Hezekiah had received a written note from a messenger relating that threat. And as we, we see in uh, that passage, in fact, I want to read with you. We, we, I didn't ask, I didn't put it on my notes, so it's not going to be up on the screen. But if you'll turn to Isaiah 37 in your Bibles, and I want to begin in, in chapter 37, verse 14. I mentioned the note or the letter, as it's stated here in verse 14, that Hezekiah received. received. And I want to read verse 14 through verse 20. And Hezekiah received the letter from the hand of the messengers and read it. And Hezekiah went up to the house of the Lord and spread it before the Lord. Don't you love that? I mean, his first response with the letter, threatening uh, Israel for its destruction, basically, from the king of Assyria. There's nothing new under the sun, is there? Um, he gets the, takes this letter and takes it to the temple, to the house of the Lord, and lays it out before the Lord. Then, then verse 15, Then Hezekiah prayed to the Lord, saying, O Lord of hosts, God of Israel, the one who dwells between the cherubim. You are God, you alone of all the kingdoms of the earth. You have made heaven and earth. Uh, pause there for a moment. What's the significance of Hezekiah saying that, that the God of Israel is the one who dwells between the cherubim? Right above the mercy seat, right? Above the mercy seat. That's what's... Uh, um, interesting about that. That's what's important to understand. Verse 17, he continues his prayer. Incline your ear, O Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, O Lord, and see and hear all the words of Sennacherib, which he has sent to reproach the living God. Now notice, the threat upon Israel was a reproach to the living God. So it wasn't just simply the people of God that were being threatened. 
because the people were being threatened, it was also, and more importantly, a threat against God. It was a, uh, as we see here, a reproach to the living God. Verse 18, Truly, Lord, the kings of Assyria have laid waste all the nations and their lands and have cast their gods into the fire, for they were not gods, but the work of men's hands, wood and stone. Therefore, they destroyed them. In other words, that's why they were able to destroy them, because the gods that they worship are false gods, just idols. Now, therefore, O Lord, our God, Yahweh, our God, save us from his hand, that all the kingdom of the earth may know that you are Yahweh, you alone. What a beautiful prayer that is, isn't it? There were many kings, especially kings of, of Israel, some of Judah as well, who, when threatened, they would begin to get their alliances with the neighboring nations altogether. And, but, but then the Lord would... Um, rebuke them for that because they are trusting in men, trusting in other nations, trusting in armies rather than trusting in him. But this is something for us to understand and, and to learn from this. Even as Hezekiah prayed this prayer, simply praying, we, he's praying for deliverance, but also deliverance from the one and only God, the only one who could deliver them. And he just cried out to him as their God, as the one and true living God. And, you know, it just makes sense to me in reading the Psalms, the, these, the, this, this one Psalm here, verse, or Psalm 116, uh, that it could very well have been Hezekiah who wrote this in that situation. But again, we saw that threat from king, the king of Assyria. We see the, the, the prayer of of Hezekiah. Further on there in Isaiah, we see God delivering them. In fact, in the following, well, toward the end of the chapter, we see that he sends an angel to kill 185,000 Assyrian warriors. That doesn't conjure up for me a picture of a cherub. Right? I mean, an angel of God is a mighty, terrifying warrior. Not a little cherub with his little chubby feet and hands and little wings fluttering and, you know, you know that kind of thing. That they, it's a, no. This angel slew 185,000 trained warriors. We're not told how he did it. But that's what he did. And that was the deliverance that God gave as a result of this letter and then the prayer of Hezekiah being answered by the Lord. And then a little bit later we see in the next chapter that that uh, word is sent to Hezekiah from uh, or through Isaiah that uh, Hezekiah's life is going to be ending. Then we see Hezekiah praying again. And then we see God answering that prayer by extending 
his life by 15 years. And then we see Hezekiah praying a prayer of praise and thanks to the Lord for that. Uh, the following chapter after that, we see Hezekiah acting very foolishly by showing uh, some uh, men from Babylon uh, the, the, the treasures uh, in, in, in the treasuries of, 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 the, uh, uh, of his um, residence uh, th that uh, Israel had, and uh, they used that against him and came and attacked and so forth. And so, so we see that Hezekiah's life did not end perfectly, but certainly here we see some very wonderful things taking place in his response to the threat of the king of Assyria, Sennacherib. And as, we, as we're there just talking about that, and might we, as we look at this psalm, might we relate to our own lives, guys, the various forms of affliction that we might go through, uh, understanding that we are at war. We're in a spiritual warfare, right? This is how we re relate this to ourselves. We are in spiritual warfare. We are serving the one and true living God, but we have a spiritual enemy, Satan himself and his demons, whose desire is to destroy us and to destroy our um, testimony of Jesus Christ in our lives. That's what he wants to do. And if we're aware of this, we're going to be talking about this in a, in, a, in a little bit, but just relating it to our own lives, the troubles that we can have, the hard things that we go through, the afflictions, the, the uh, things that people will do against us, you know, uh, all these kinds of things. And I, I'm going to go ahead and share... Um, what I was going to share a little bit later because it, it is so, as we're looking at this in the beginning of the study, um, in relation to spiritual warfare, um, Job chapter 1 and Job chapter 2. Uh, guys, uh, as you're looking at the, uh, it's, it's on page 4B, number 3. That's where you'll find those verses in my outline. In Job 1.11, I think in these two verses that, that here, Job 1.11 and then Job 2.5, I believe that Satan has revealed his goal in bringing affliction to the believer. Job 1.11 says this, as he's speaking here, and you remember in the first chapters of Job, Satan is talking with God. God had said, hey, have you noticed Job? You know what a righteous man he is. And then Satan's saying, of course he's so righteous. You've hedged him in on every side and protected him, blessed him so much, of course, you know. But this is what Satan says. Verse, verse, one, or verse 11 of chapter 1 in Job. But now stretch out your hand and touch all that he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. Then, of course, all was taken from Job. At the end of that first chapter, we see Job saying, uh, um, the, the Lord has given and the Lord has taken away. Blessed, the name of the Blessed be the name of the Lord. He worshiped him. And then Satan came before God again. 
And in the fifth verse of chapter 2, we see him saying this, but stretch out your hand now, saying this to God, stretch out your hand now and touch his bone and his flesh, and he will surely curse you to your face. Same exact words. He will surely curse you to your face. And that seems to me that is a stated goal of Satan for the lives of those who are following after the Lord. He wants to get us to curse God to his face. He wants to get us to begin to question him. He wants to get us to begin to not really believe what the Bible says to him. I thought you loved me. If you love me, why are these things happening? No, I don't believe that you're really good. If you were good, I wouldn't be feeling this way. You know, those kinds of things, right? Now, I don't believe any of us would ever go out into our front yard and look up into the heavens and begin to shake our head, hands in, in the air and, and toward God and say, I curse you, God. But I do believe we can curse him in other ways, uh, suggesting some of the things that I just mentioned about questioning him and so forth, right? And regardless of the depth and the amount of pain and difficulty of the affliction, God will be with us to preserve us. And I think in terms of our spiritual warfare, when God delivers me through the trial, that means he has preserved me from doing the things that I've said, from questioning him, from believing that maybe he doesn't love me after all, from questioning whether he really is good and merciful and gracious and kind, just because it doesn't feel like it. And we don't feel like it. We don't feel those things because the affliction is hard and painful. But that's not a reflection on the nature and character and the attributes of God himself. And because he is who he is, he will get us through it. That's basically the message of this psalm. We can go home. No, we'll, ju we'll go through it. We'll just go ahead. We'll go ahead and read it. We'll go ahead and read it. Let's read verses 1 and 2 once again. I love the Lord because he has heard my voice and my supplications, because he has inclined his ear to me. Therefore, I will call upon him as long as I live. So we see the writer, if it was Hezekiah or whomever, we, we see the, the writers basically stating, that I love the Lord and gives a reason because, because he is so faithful to hear my prayers and the implication is that he answers the prayers. He not only hears, he answers. And because he has heard me, and notice it's in the past tense, because he has heard my voice and my supplications. Because he has inclined his ear to me. This is all past tense. So he, he's relating his history with God. His history with the Lord. I've cried out to him. And he has heard me. So I love him. That's basically what he's saying here. And, and at the end of verse 2, we see this. Therefore, I will call upon him as long as I live. Now, do you guys believe that God hears your prayers? Let me ask you this. Does he always answer your prayers the way you want him to? No. 
So can you be assured that he hears you even though you don't get the answer you want? Yes. In John 16, 24, Jesus said this, Until now, this is in the upper room discourse, Until now you have asked nothing in my name. Ask, and you will receive, that your joy may be full. When we ask in his name, now that doesn't mean that if we make sure we say, oh, in Jesus' name I pray, amen. If we say that, you know, that's not like these, these, this, 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 ma- this magic incantation that gives credence to all that you ask for. No. Asking in his name means asking in a way that our hearts are consistent with his heart. With, with, with his nature, with his character. You know, James tells us that, that your prayers aren't answered because you, you spend it on your own desires. You spend your prayers on your own desires. That, that's not according to the, the heart of God. That tells me that when I pray for you, when I pray blessing for you, that's from the heart of God, he'll answer that prayer. But the blessing might take some form that is totally different than what I have in my own mind. Right? But he will bless. He will answer that kind of a prayer. Right? John 16, later on, in fact, just skipping a verse and looking at verse 26 and 27, look at this. I I think this is incredible. Jesus said, In that day you will ask in my name, and I do not say to you that I shall pray the Father for you, In other words, I'm not telling you that I'm going to ask him. And then the following verse, For the Father himself loves you, because you have loved me, and I believe that I came forth from God. You know, Jesus isn't saying, you know, if you pray in my name, I'll put in a good word for you. He's not saying that. In fact, we don't even need to think that Jesus is going to be involved in petitioning the Father on our behalf. Because our Father loves us. Your Father loves you. He loves me. And on a personal level, so, you know, I know that you hear me, Father, because, well, you are my Father, and I'm your child. We have this relationship, and so you hear me, and you will answer when I pray according to the name of Jesus. Help me to understand what that means, and help me to pray in that way, but I know you hear me, because I am your child. And how is it that you are his child? Well, because you've received Jesus. Because you have honored Jesus. Because you know Jesus. So these are important things for us to understand. It's it's all based on relationship. Even as what we call the Lord's Prayer Beginning in Matthew chapter 6, verse 9, Jesus said, In this manner, therefore, pray, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And then he goes on with other requests. But it begins, Our Father in heaven. So that tells us, when we begin our prayer, begin with an understanding of your relationship with God. He's your Father, you're his child, specifically. But we can go further, though. He's our master. We are his servant. Our Lord, we are his servant. He's the creator. We are his creation. There's so many ways that we can say that. But specifically, 
with Matthew 6, it is based on the fact that he is our father. And Jesus said in John, John uh, 16 that we, that, that we pray to our father and he will hear us, mentioning that he is our father. Let's go on to verses 3 and 4. The pains of death surrounded me, and the pangs of Sheol laid hold of me. I found trouble and sorrow. So here he begins to describe a little bit of, uh, of the affliction that he's going through. Then I called upon the name of the Lord. O Lord, I implore you, deliver my soul. And so as, he's, as he is uh, calling out to the Lord, He's calling out with all the pain and trouble and sorrow that he's, that he's feeling. And, 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 and we should be encouraged that, that we ought to call upon the Lord as well. Um, as verse 4 says, called upon the name of the Lord. O Lord, I implore you, I beg you, deliver me, help me, save me. Be whatever it is that I need you to be right now. And... Whatever trouble, whatever pain, whatever sorrow, whatever fear, whatever, whatever we're going through, we, we ought to call out to him. You know, guys, I have been sharing with you um, over the months, you know, my own heart as I've been going through this thing of uh, seeing my wife sick and, and, and just getting sicker and sicker till. You know, we watched her take her last breath physically. She went into the Lord's presence, and then just all the pain that's involved with all of that. You know, I, I've, I've been sharing that with you, you know. And um, oh, we prayed. I prayed. I prayed, prayed, prayed. I've shared with you that I, I prayed with her every single day. You know, and, and I prayed that the Lord would heal her. The Lord did not answer the prayer the way I wanted him to. He did not. There's so many that so many times that takes place. But the Lord has given me understanding of of of, of His truth. And, and and you know the 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 honest thing is, I mean, Eloise, we're praying for you because I mean your your brother passed away on Christmas night. And for those of you who didn't know, be praying for Eloise and her family. But. What we're experiencing with these things is something that's very natural in this broken world. Very, very natural. You know, and I never for a moment felt like some, for some reason God was removing his hand of love from me or removing, removing his hand from my life or, or picking on me or, Lord, what did I do that you do this? N nothing like that ever, ever. Nothing like that. Sorrow, yeah. Pain, yeah. Some confusion at times. Not understanding. Not understanding what was going on, not understanding perhaps why it was going on, but understanding this. My God is good. He loves us. He's compassionate. He's gracious. He is merciful. He is kind. He hears our prayers and he answers is almighty and all-powerful and can do whatever it is he chooses to do. And in his wisdom, he knows exactly what to do that is best. And out of his love, he always does what is best 
One, for his glory, and secondly, for our good. And so understanding that, I've had to come to this conclusion. While he didn't answer according to my desire, the answer he gave is better than what I wanted him to do. I know that that's true. I've seen some wonderful things taking place as a result of the things that have taken place, but that is true because God is who he is. He has not changed. That has to be true. I may not understand how it's true, but it's got to be true. And I may never understand the fullness of it until I get face-to-face with the Lord. And I may not even understand then, but then it really won't matter. I'll be in his presence. He's at my bride's side. You know, I mean, so, you know, I mean, all these things are just all a part of it. It's just all a part of it. You know, um, and, and, I, and I, I miss her. Especially miss her, I mean, the way that she was before this disease struck her. I mean, the way that you knew her, you know. But, The Lord in his sovereignty saw fit to bring something else to us. And because of he being who he is, well, I'm okay. That doesn't mean I don't hurt anymore. (laughs) Right? But I'm okay. I can honestly sing, it is well with my soul. And I think that's, I thank the Lord for that. And one of the things is I've been sharing with you about what the Lord's been doing in, with my grandchildren, you know, Tracy's kids in Phoenix. And last week I drove out on Thursday, and we had the Bible study Thursday night. They're still going through their Bible study. It's been a good solid five months now that this Bible study's been going on, going through the book of John and and it's just been, been such a blessing, you know. And, and Friday night was Shayla's birthday. I haven't been with her for her birthday in I don't know how long, but I was there. We were able to celebrate her birthday with her, and, and we exchanged some Christmas gifts and stuff. And, and uh, uh, Saturday I drove home, and I was here Sunday. And, uh, you know, so it's just a blessing to see what God's doing, you know, and... I would not say that if, 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 if my bride had not passed on to be with the Lord, that this would not be the case now. I wouldn't say that. But I do know that the Lord's using it for that. So that's a good thing. That's a good thing. So he uses the afflictions that we go through. Now go, going on, verse five, and s- 5 to 7. Gracious is the Lord and righteous, yes, our God is merciful. So, so we, we see him attributing three basically character traits to God. He is gracious, he is righteous, and he is merciful. There in that fifth verse. Which is basically, well, it's a part of what we see God sharing with Moses back in Exodus chapter 34. You, you remember that in the 33rd chapter of Exodus, uh, uh, Moses asked the Lord to reveal his glory to him. And then in the fourth chapter, we, er, I'm sorry, 34th chapter, excuse me, 
verses 6 and 7, we see that happening. And verse 6 and 7 read this way. And the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abounding in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgressions and sin, by no means clearing the guilty. That's the righteous part right there. That he is just and righteous. He always judges in a righteous way. He doesn't just clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. So he doesn't clear the guilty. There has to be a price paid. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. And it was Jesus' blood that was shed for us. And so we were just cleared. It's not like God is just saying, oh, that's okay, don't worry about it. No, the sin must somehow be recompensed. The sinner must be punished, penalized for the sin that he or she commits. Because God is righteous. That has to take place. Now, we, we, we whenever we'll, we'll say something to somebody, you know, somebody will do something against us, and we'll say, and they'll come and say, oh, I'm sorry. And a lot of times we'll say, that's okay. I would caution you to not answer that way. Say, I forgive you. Because I forgive you is an acknowledgement of, yeah, you did something, and it did hurt, but I do forgive you, so we're good. You're not just clearing it, but there's a, there's a reality of acknowledging, and, and, and basically, you know, I, 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 I really believe that any time true forgiveness takes place, somewhere a death has to occur. And if you've done something against me and you come to, to, to me and, 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 and seek reconciliation, you say that you're sorry, what I have to die to is my desire to get even, my desire for vengeance, my desire for whatever I think is fair. I have to die to that. Does that make sense? You know what I mean? There has to be a death that takes place for true forgiveness to happen. Generally speaking, for us in our world, among with, with people, it's dying to the desire to get even for, for, for vengeance. Vengeance is mine, says, says the Lord. So we need to allow him to do that. But be careful that we don't just go that, that night and say, okay, Lord, I've forgiven her now. Would you just make them pay? Make them pay. Vengeance is yours. Make them pay. Right? That's not a very pure heart. But God is gracious he is righteous, he is merciful. And in that, he preserves the simple. And, and then the writer says, I was brought low and he saved me. He lifted me up. He rescued me. Through the affliction, I was brought down. Whether it is an emotional downcast kind of a thing or whatever it might be that he's referring to in being brought low, it was the Lord that lifted him up. He saved him, he rescued him, he delivered him. And then he says to his own soul, return to your rest, O my soul, for the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. 
Guys, have you seen that the Lord has dealt bountifully with you? Oh, he has. With you and with me. You know, uh, I've been thinking a lot about my bride the last few days, you know. See, Christmas season is kind of tough, being without my bride. Um, you know, I mean, a few days before Christmas, Christmas the, the week before Christmas, um, Jamie took the kids to uh, Victoria Gardens to do some shopping and stuff. And I'm just thinking how my bride just loves to go down to the Christmas place with all the lights and the decorations and the tree and just walk along and grab some hot chocolate or some coffee or something as we're walking and just enjoy, you know, being with each other there. I miss that. I miss that. Just going through all these firsts, right? You know, um, it, it, it's a hard thing. I had a di- I, I've, I've had a difficult time getting into the Christmas spirit, so to speak. And I just miss, I just miss my bride. But he has dealt bountifully with me. I, I don't question that. I don't. You know, as, as I've shared with you before, you know, the Lord gave me over 50 wonderful years with her. You know, I had three really hard ones with her. And now I've had half a year without her. You know, and it's like, you know, I, I, I really can't complain. He's given us a good life. He, he truly has. And so, yeah. Return to your rest, O my soul, for the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. Again, it is well with my soul. Can you guys say that? It is well with your soul, regardless of the difficulties that you're facing, whatever it is. It can be a relationship, a marriage, relationship with kids, sickness. It can be financial difficulties. It can be a lot of things. Is it well with you? it well with your soul, I pray so. Verse 8 through 11. For you have delivered your soul from death. You delivered my soul from death. Excuse me. My eyes from tears and my feet from falling. Uh, My feet from slipping, really, is what that, a better reading of that. I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. I believed, therefore I spoke. I'm greatly afflicted. I said in my haste, all men are liars. Um, and, and he's saying here, uh, like I, I mentioned in verse 8, it's, you, you have delivered my soul from death. You've delivered my feet from, from slipping. In other words, that I, I'm, I'm, I'm standing on solid ground based on your truth. Based on your truth. And he commits, I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. Even in the midst of my affliction, I will keep my eyes on you, Jesus, as I walk. I'm going to be walking with you. You are by my side. You are within me. My eyes are on you as I walk. And the idea of walking, you guys know, it speaks about lifestyle. The way that we live our lives, the things that we do in our lives. It's, it's, it's lifestyle is what it is. And, and we are choosing, we're just continuing, even in the midst of affliction, choosing to continue to follow Jesus. Basically, that's what it means for us. Just choosing to do that. Verse 10, I believed, therefore I spoke, I'm greatly afflicted. 
another way of saying, I, I've had confidence in your deliverance of me, so I've not been afraid to say, I've got great affliction. Have you ever heard somebody say to you, um, don't make a negative confession? They're saying something kind of a negative, oh, I'm, I'm getting sick, or, or this is happening, and having this difficulty, and you know, don't, don't speak those words, because those words will, will, will come to pass. It's like, people that are involved in what we call the word faith movement will do that kind of thing. The words that we speak, they believe that there's power in our words. There can be to a, to a, in, in a sense, but my words don't have any control over your life or mine. It's God that has control. He's the sovereign one, not the things that we speak. But in, in this situation, it's like, you know what, Lord? I'm going through a tough time. This is hard. I don't like it, but I know you're going to deliver me. This affliction, I don't like. That's what ba basically verse 10 is saying. And in verse 10, I said, in my haste, all men are liars. Um, th there seems to be probably some, some sense of this affliction coming from the hands of men. But he does say, in my haste, all men are liars. Well, all men aren't evil. I mean, we, we all have a, a wickedness in our hearts, but those who are following the Lord will, will, will do good things. You, you know, it, it, all men are not liars. There are some honest people out there, especially within the church, right? Now, go to Washington, D.C., and maybe that's true. Go to a lawyer convention, and maybe that's true but not here at church, right? So in, in my haste, you know, and, and he's basically saying w the, 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 the tension that this affliction brought caused me to say this hastily. I shouldn't label all men based on the way that these few have treated me, right? That's kind of what he's saying there. Verse 12 to 14. What shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits toward me? What a great question that is. I, I think we all should just pause for a moment and just consider that. What shall I give to the Lord for all that he's given to me? For all that he's done for me? Now, I don't believe that's something going to be settled in a matter of 10 seconds. Just thinking about it while we're sitting here right now. But I encourage you to seriously take this home with you and pray. Lord, what can I do? What can I give to you after all you've done for me? That's verse 12. Well, in verse 13 and 14, he gives answer to this. I will take up the cup of salvation and call upon the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord now in the presence of all his people. I will take up the cup of the Lord, or the cup of salvation, excuse me. C.H. Spurgeon wrote this. He means that he will utter blessings and thanksgivings and prayers and then drink of the cup which the Lord had filled with his saving grace. 
What a cup this is. Upon the table of infinite love stands the cup full of blessing. It is ours by faith to take it in our hand, make it our own, and partake of it. And then with joyful hearts to, to laud and magnify the gracious one who has filled it for our sakes that we may drink and be refreshed. The Lord has saved you. Receive that salvation. Receive this cup of salvation that you can drink from it and, and be blessed and refreshed and, and, and uh, all that he will do for you. Filled with his joy and his peace and his hope and his love. The cup of salvation. Take it in. But what, what is it that I can do, though? I mean, how is it that, how can we respond to that? I, I think that is one very real way, but that's going to result in some, some, some blessings, some things that we do because we receive that cup of salvation. Uh, uh, then, of course, verse 14, he talks about paying his vows to the Lord, just, just making our commitments true, following up, so forth, that kind of a thing. Well, one answer to the question could be, we could look at Micah 6, 8. The prophet Micah says, He has shown you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God? We used to sing that song. Remember, you guys remember singing that song? He has we were singing in the King James Version, He has shown thee, O man. Um, and I've shared this with you before, but I can't see that verse without thinking about Jamie. When she was like, she was like five years old, four or five years old, we'd be singing this song, and she would sing, but to do justly and to love Lucy. She would always say, and to love Lucy. So we, we did watch I Love Lucy. So that's what was, that's what was <laughs> in her mind. Just one of our precious memories of, of our children. 1 John 4.19 says, we love him because he first loved us. That's one response. John 14.15, Jesus said, if you love me, what? Keep my commandments. It kind of falls into what Micah 6.8 is, but, but Micah 6.8 really speaks more about uh, a heart and attitude than anything. Loving mercy and walking humbly. Now, we cannot repay God. You know, and it can be a temptation for us when we ask that question, well, what can I give him? Well, I, I can't repay him. I can't give him enough that would be considered repayment. Well, that's not the question. Of course we can't. That's a given. We can't repay him for what he's done for us. But we can respond in such a way that honors him. And if it's, it's something that honors him, it is going to be a blessing to other people around us. Then verse 15, precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. Well, that's something that's been in my heart for a while. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. I'd encourage you guys, make sure that you, mark, you, you highlight this in your Bibles. 
allow the Lord to write it upon your hearts. You know, precious in his sight is the death of his saints. Those of us in this room, having received Christ as Savior, being one of those saints, when it comes time for us to go to be with him, it's a precious thing in his sight. Precious in his sight is the death of his saints. It's been a, a, this truth has been something that has been such a blessing to me. And, and you know, I, one of my thoughts is, well, if I want to be Christ-like, if it is precious in his sight for one of his own to come to him, then it ought to be precious to me, too. And so I, 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 I want to see my precious wife having gone home to be with him in that light. It's a precious thing to him. So it's a precious thing to me, too. I want it to be that precious thing. And, and really, when I think about where she is and being in his presence and all that glory and fullness of joy and all that, it's like, why would I not want that for her, right? I mean, would I ask the Lord to bring her back to me? No, I wouldn't because of that. Would I like her to be with me? Yes, I would. But not at what she would have to give up. I mean, let's face it. As much as she loved me, as much as I was able to love her, that is so much better. It's so much better. You know, and even when we say, well, she, she's in a better place, it's not like she was in a bad place. God gave her a good life. Last four years were tough. But given the nature of her disease, I'm not sure how much awareness she had of it, for which I'm thankful. For which I'm thankful. But might we be able to step back and see things from God's perspective. I think this verse helps us to do this. You know, it's with this idea of the of, of what verse fifteen says. It really is all about our Lord taking a sinner whom He loves and died for, redeeming her for Himself. And bringing her to himself so she can be with him forever. But not just so she can be with him forever, but so that he can be with her forever. Because he loves her. He bought her for himself because she is a special treasure to him. You know, I, I think we have to look at things, and, and, and it's the same for all of us. It's the same for all of us. We are a very special treasure to him, and, and that's why he purchased us for himself. Check this out, 1 John 4, 16 to 19. These are some great verses having to do with all this, the love of God. And we have known and believed the love that God has for us, God is love, and he who abides in love abides in God, and God in him. Love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, 
Because as he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. We love him because he first loved us. I think it's a wonderful uh, explanation of the love of God and what that does in us and, and, and how we respond, having boldness in the last day, in the day of judgment, because we've been loved by God and because he did what he did for us. So we have no fear. You know, I, I have asked people, are, are, are you going to be going to heaven? And the response can be something like, well, I hope so. That should not be a Christian's response. Because, yes, I am going to heaven. I'm looking, I'm, quite frankly, I'm looking forward to that. <laughs> you know? And, and those who don't understand, unbelievers who don't understand, might think that we're quite full of ourselves and thinking that we deserve to go to heaven. No, we didn't say we deserve it. We just said we're going. Because Jesus took our sins upon himself. And as the Lamb of God, he died in our place. The propitiation for our sin, the substitution for us, right? And so, yes. 16 and 17, O, o Lord, truly I am your servant. I am your servant, the son of your maidservant. You have loosed my bonds. You've made me free. I will offer to you the sacrifice of thanksgiving and will call upon the name of the Lord. And so this idea of our response to him because of what he's done, because precious in his sight is the death of his saints. Which, by the way, Jesus called it not death. He said, he said to Martha in John chapter 11, when he came at Lazarus' death, you know, he, he said, if, if you live and believe in me, you shall never die. Isn't that trippy to know that you'll never die? My body's going to quit working at some point. I mean, if the Lord tarries, if he doesn't come back and rapture us as a church, yeah, that's going to happen. But I'm not going to die. I'm going to be going into his presence. So we will never die. So as a response to that, it's the offering of ourselves as servants to him, declaring to the world that he's freed us, and also uh, the sacrifices, giving to him the sacrifices of thanksgiving in our hearts, living our lives in such a way, in a sacrificial way, loving him and serving him. Verse 18, I will pay my vows to the Lord now in the presence of all his people. That's a repetition of an earliest, earlier verse. In the courts of the Lord's house, in the midst of you, O Jerusalem, praise the Lord. So beyond just in the presence of his people, but everywhere and in front of all people. Uh, in front of all who, all his people uh, in his house and all of Jerusalem. I will do that. Praise the Lord. 
In, verse, in Psalms 117, those two verses, Praise the Lord, all you Gentiles. Laud him, all you peoples. For his merciful kindness is great toward us, and the truth of the Lord endures forever. Praise the Lord. So more praises to God for his merciful kindness, for his truth. Uh, he, he, he speaks to the Gentiles to praise him, all you peoples to praise him. And indeed, all nations will praise him. We, we see John writing from heaven in Revelation 5, 9, and 10. This is what he sees. And they sang a new song saying, you are worthy to take the scroll. Speaking, of course, of Jesus. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals for you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation and have made us kings and priests to our God and we shall reign on the earth. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord for that. And we're going to be a part of that, guys. In fact, we already are a part of it. We just don't see the fullness of it yet. We're still in this world, but you know what? This is why we need to spend more and more time together as, as much as we can as Christians. In church, just gathering together whenever, because this is a foretaste, if you will, of heaven. In fact, you know, um, just thinking about my bride and so forth, and the, the memorial service that we had for her in July, such a blessing it was, but I had several people approach me and say, that very thing. This is like a taste of heaven. You know, not the service itself, but the fact of so many people were there from so many different churches. And some people who used to come here were here. People that we knew, th that we know from Calvary Chapel, Chino Valley were there. That people that used to go there, went to other churches, you know. I mean, you know, we all came together for that reason. And we all are going to be together in heaven worshiping our Lord. Isn't that isn't going to be a great? Right now, what we're to, going to do while we're together here, we're going to celebrate communion. So, uh, Matt, would you come on up? Talking about the things that God has done for us. This is the primary thing, isn't it? What God has done for 